rolling around in the dirt with all of our favorite guest actors. It's V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek Enterprise did we watch this week? Oh, not so fast, Joe. We got some uh, we got some business we got to handle here. Oh, goodness. What is the business we have to handle, sir? I went and I listened to our, our second episode that had came out today. Uh, we we threw down a gauntlet, and I think we need to be accountable to our own actions. Uh, there was talk that if either of us has any punishable offenses, that there needed to be repercussions. What, what was the name of the pilot episode? Broken Bow. You tainted me, and I let my own ignorance cloud my judgment. And as you have done so many times, I, I just repeated things after what you were saying, uh, as you've listened to the way that I pronounce people's names. I would like to say that we've been saying Broken Bow ignorantly as a joke, as a name we don't respect, and uh, just letting it be a little who gives a shit gag. But this is just genuine being wrong and dumb. (laughs) It's Broken Bow and listening to us say Broken Bow like 40 times, I cringed each time we said it. And even in the fucking memory alpha, it gives a correct pronunciation. I think... I'm going to have to invoke that for our next episode, we're both due to sit there and listen to the actual full introduction uh, oh, music. Yeah, okay. You know what? You know what? I We have to be men of honor. <laughs> and I promise to fully allow... I allow the, the whole of the, the faith of the heart to to wash over me. And... Uh, Pain that w- stick of the heart. I, that will... That will be, um, you know, it will be a little more tolerable, though, because now in my mind, I can just envision Ian and Sarah's fucking banger <laughs> version. No, you cannot. You must sit there and let the filth wash through you now, I, uh, empty. And, and, and when a man is tortured, he has to find his peace to maintain his sanity. I don't know. Can you can you do cheaty tricks like that for self-flagellation? I mean, doesn't that defeat the purpose? Okay, so you're saying that this has to be a spiritual suffering, is what you're saying. That we have to we have to suffer to cleanse ourselves. Yeah, yes, we must learn our lesson. And for all of the, I don't know, maybe some point in the next thirty years, someone from Broken Bow will actually listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) We will expunge uh, the the heinous geography we have inflicted on them. Uh, to all the residents of Oklahoma, I do not apologize because you live in a shithole. And speaking of shitholes, what episode of Enterprise did we watch this week? We're getting into season one, episode six, Terra Nova. So I have a story about this episode, watching it the first time because I have a very clear memory of it. I remember watching it and about halfway through saying to myself, if I didn't know without a shadow of a doubt because I've seen it myself – that this show drastically improves from this point forward, I would stop watching it. I would not, I would be done. I would turn the television off and I would say, Star Trek Enterprise, you were not for me. I did not enjoy watching this the first time. And the second time, I did not enjoy it either. I liked it. My goodness. This is not the one I would expect for you to have enjoyed. I, you know, and I see in the memory alpha people shitting all over this thing, you know, Bran Brana and fucking Rick Berman are like, no, this thing sucked. It was miserable. It was a shit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, those being our two writers on this old LeVar Burton, Jordy LaForge himself uh, sitting in the director chair on this. Um, it, 
it's certainly not stellar and there's some eye rolly whatever moments, but I think overall uh, it is a good exploration story. And I mean, obviously this is Roanoke in space, right? The lost uh, English colony of Roanoke, you know, whatever happened, this kind of this murder, not murder, mystery, but you know, this, this ghost town mystery, right? Yeah. And the premise of it, has has some interesting meat on the bones and as i mentioned to you before the worst episodes of enterprise to me are still much better than some of the the lowest low that we encountered on voyager i didn't enjoy it i thought it was boring i thought it just dwelt way too long in the novens as we'll become to know them dwelling in literal dirt as just the least important and interesting part of it. Like we get that pretty well established right away and they just don't have anything else interesting to do in this episode. So they just kind of dwell on it a little bit. And it's just like, really? Okay. Boring. It's boring. I think that's its worst crime. Uh, it is not unwatchably bad. It is not like cringe. It is not some extra level of terrible. It's just not great. It is boring, and I think that's something that I like about it. It's low stakes, ultimately. It's a good chance to do a little bit of character exploration. Um, You know, they're not trying to put the biggest stakes on the table, and I can appreciate that. And they're playing with concepts that I've seen before, and they've resonated well. We jump back to uh, Season 7 of Voyager. What was... Oh, it was Friendship 1, right? Right which I loved. That was one of my favorite Star Trek Voyager episodes. And maybe it's because that episode resonated so well that the shades of it that I picked up in here gave it maybe an unfair boost. But Earth having to go back and fix a problem that it created. You got some lamplight from Fallout 3? Correct. That's the one with the kids, yeah. And then that's exactly what this is. It's Although adults are dead and the kids got to fend for themselves and they grow up in this. I mean, this isn't Lord of the Flies, but you got this warped upbringing going on here. Um, And yeah, there's a bunch of crap that I'm looking forward to spitting on with you. But it overall, it's it's a good Starfleet story. And I don't know how many times they would be able to play this card about lost colonies and Earth's early attempts at colonization and failures with it. Um, But. Uh, you know, that's that's something that I think that Enterprise, the USS Enterprise genuinely should have focused on. Is this the USS Enterprise? No, it's just Enterprise. What is it's the, the NX, It's the NX-01. It's its registry number. But USS uh, doesn't exist as a prefix on vessels yet. Correct. That will not exist because that's a United Starship. That is a, a designation given to Federation USP. vessels. Gotcha. Well, anyways, it's it is something good for the brand new shiny earth spaceship to do is go out and check on this big mystery. Everybody's always wondered about. So Terra Nova is the first human colony, right? And this is what the intro of the ships of the, of the episode is going to be is laying the groundwork for what is Terra Nova. Specifically it's the first, what they call deep space colony. So what Archer relates in the teaser is, uh, or actually I think in act one um, is earth after it shook off all of the atomic dust, thanks to their Vulcan friends, uh, started a a colony on the moon, New Berlin, which we've heard referenced before. Have we? Yes, that got referenced in First Contact. Hmm. 
you can uh, Lake Armstrong, you can see New Berlin. There's 300 million people living on the moon. Hmm. So they were fascinated by looking at a moon with no one on it. Utopia Planitia colony on Mars, very, very well established. And then some asteroid colonies, but they wanted to go deep into space. And there was a, uh, a M-class planet about... Uh, what look like was it i think nine years away nine years away so like 10 ish light years away because they could only go a little past warp one at the time it was nine years there nine years back so it was basically a one-way trip for everyone who went and they got in their covered wagons and they went out there and hooray we we create a colony in deep space except like you said it's space rowing out something happened to them um because we were going to, you know, Earth was going to send more people. And they're like, no, we're the ones that are trying to tame this planet. This is ours. And they get into this kind of domestic squabble via communications. And then boop, something happened. No one knows. And it's nine years out. So no one ever went to find out. Too far away. Be nine years there. And it would be nine years back. Prior to Warp 5 engine, which Enterprise features, is all of the other Earth... Uh, spacefaring vehicles limited to like warp one ish. Yeah, so we will we will get a little bit more specific information about this later, but the Earth cargo vessels are limited to around one warp one point five, is is as far as advanced as those go, and those are the ones that are making the regular routes to what planets Earth has in fact colonized from uh, both in the solar system and outside the immediate solar system, and then you know, the periphery that they have contact with the warp five engine is experimental and first of its kind. There are other earth like Starfleet vessels that have like warp two and warp three engines as like things that they had evolved from, but they were still entire that what they didn't have many of them. So they didn't send them out for exploration. They were entirely for defense. I'm very interested by this boomer concept as presented by enterprise boomer, of course, being the, uh, space-faring, space-living uh, elements of the human population that's gone off-planet. Um, the idea that there's this... Well, first of all, uh, again, we're, we're continuing to pa- paint the picture of what is Earth at this point. Is money still a thing? Money is not a thing, I don't think. So we're living in a post-scarcity society now? I, you know, I let me let me take that back a little bit. I don't think they talk about money, salaries, you know, like explicitly, but there's reference to things costing things at times. Like you and me are living on Earth at this point and we decide that we want to be space traders. I think there's probably money, to be completely honest with you, but it's not something that they broach explicitly. Because, you know, so so you and I, we want to we want to set up uh, the Kessel run. We want to go do run spice out of the mines of core hall or whatever um that was know, quite I, a mixed like you went star trek I'm, star wars starcraft like in a row exclusive that's right. good <laughs> thank you this is this is a very rich fantasy i'm weaving here but uh how, how are we getting a spaceship you know do you get take a loan out from the bank and and you're buying parts off worlders like i'm curious how are these vessels getting into space outside of starfleet's authority or are these vehicles are these spacecraft that the government of earth has commissioned and put in there for the good of earth to get us included in intergalactic trade like these might be questions that are too deep for superficial Berman era stuff 
I think that's the answer, to be honest. It's just they never explicitly say one way or another, which is why I was inclined to say that there isn't money. But I think it only makes sense that there is still some kind of money, currency, transaction. Something is happening in that regard still on Earth. It might be, you know, I don't want to say, they might be transitioning more and more closer to that post-scarcity where money maybe become obsolete in the near term. But clearly capitalism had to be the reason some of the things that are happening are happening. Like why else would you have cargo ships where people are living on it to like deliver goods and that sort of thing. Like I get like, Hey, we need to bring this new element or this new material that we don't have natively to earth here. Uh, but again, the process of building that ship has to be extensive and, and resource intensive uh, getting it out there. There is a big part of the Terra Nova myth that gets divulged at this point. And it's, seems to indicate that this colony was a government effort, yeah. right? This is a government-sponsored colony that they've sent off, and things are good. And then, you know, I start getting some shades of the expanse here. Things go sour with Mars, and it strains the relationship. Only here it's Terra Nova. Um, Earth decides, hey, that colony seems to be doing swell. Let's get ready with Wave 2, and we're going to send out another... 900 colonists was it two no it's 200 extra colonists correct uh and terra nova is like no uh we don't want our resources taxed this is ours let us self-populate you're not jamming another 200 at us and uh and they cut communications and so then terra nova sits dormant for 70 years of people wondering what happens and this question gets posed uh, to Paul, interestingly, is completely ignorant to the existence of Terra Nova, which, you know, Terra Nova, to me, now that we're talking about it, kind of shades of uh, Eden from Mass Effect, right? The great experiment. Can Earth colonize far from home in dangerous areas and make it on their own? This being the massive failure that it is, I'm surprised that to Paul, who seems to be pretty learned, that this wouldn't be like the big joke that Vulcans make at humans' expense, right? I mean, it's not that Vulcans don't know. It's just that maybe T'Pol doesn't personally have knowledge of this particular adventure because it happened well before her sort of dawning into having humans as an assignment. So she poses a question, well, why didn't Earth just contact the uh, – why didn't you check on it? Well, because it's nine years there. It's nine years back. That's too much to ask of anybody. Uh, hey, why didn't you just ask the Vulcans? And then Trip jumps in and says, uh, well, you know, because anytime you ask the Vulcans for something, they expect a high, they, they exact a high price. And I had to wonder, like, what, I want examples. I'm How curious, what could the Vulcans be asking of Earth in return for space favors? I would love to have that been colored out a little bit. You know, like, okay. I mean, that's an interesting idea that, they don't like to turn to the Vulcans because the Vulcans impose themselves in some way that, you know, they had become, they had started to chafe at and they wanted to, to not ask them for favors. But like you said, they kind of put it out there and then they don't explain what that means. And we're going to get more of that, by the way, there's going to be a whole episode devoted to the idea of Jonathan Archer, not wanting to ask a Vulcan for a favor. And do they, they flesh out what the, like what the, do they want like Bitcoin do they yeah, want I more mean, space on the uh, on the Vulcan enclave? Did you see how much power it takes to mine Bitcoin these days? That is a huge ask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, run those server farms? Come on, man. Maybe that's the money of the future. 
Doge. That's oh, it's 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 Bitcoin. It's it's crypto, and that's why they're like, "Fuck all of this. No money at all. This mm-hmm. is garbage." <laughs> get you get your fake digital dog money out of here. So you know, again, is this the most exciting episode? No, but this it's stuff like this that makes me really appreciate Trek. That that what if world building. Um, they eventually show up. And uh, start scanning. And wow, if you, you know, if you didn't take a close enough look, you'd think that that's Earth we're looking at. Gosh, who would have thought that they would beam down <laughs> to the back lot behind Paramount Studios? Not beam down, man. We're still on that shuttlecraft game. Right. They get to the surface. They find the abandoned colony. They also find that it was irradiated in the area. And they were questioning why that might be. I did like I'm hoping I'm hoping like, oh, God, please turn this into a irradiated mutant hillbilly. The hills have eyes. Plot twist instead. Well, before we get to any kind of plot twist as to what happened to the inhabitants, there was one thing that uh, they did in this episode that I thought was very clever. The name of the ship that the colonists came on was the SS uh, Conestoga. And. I know that because in high school history, I learned about covered wagons traveling to the West and they were called Conestoga wagons. So that was a historical illusion. So whatever writer did that, good job, I guess. (laughs) I don't know if that was Rick Berman, but nice, nice little reference, right? Very cute. Some of those things that didn't really call out and make Paul pay big attention to, but it's, you see it on the bulkhead. He's like, ah, yeah, no, that was the brand name of all the wagons. That's cool. So watching Starfleet roll around and inspect the remains of the old, uh, colony, they got, they got pretty small, sexy little tricorders there for being pre TOS. I don't think that they're sophisticated, like, because the, so Paul brought her own tricorder and it's like fancy Vulcan technology and it's way better than the Starfleet ones. Mm-hmm. But I do like that they're like more like metal angular. They have that sort of more analog feel, but they are small. Yeah, they are smaller than the giant flip open 24th century one. But that's because that prop was invented in the 80s and these props were invented in the 2000s. <laughs> we get some cool background on the colony because to Paul's like, you know, why didn't they just uh beam out of here why don't they just come back if 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 something was posing a radiation hazard why not dip and archer's like well you'll notice that all these buildings seem to be built out of bulkhead uh much like the talaxians they decided to roll into their farthest truck stop outpost that humanity was going to create cannibalize the ship and uh build houses out of uh what used to be the warp nacelles and now they're stuck here it was a one-way ticket Which is what they did with covered wagons back in the day. The historical illusions. So they're starting to try and investigate what's going on. And of course, the classic, I think I saw something in the woods thing happens. And there's a chase where Malcolm Reed ends up getting to a cave mouth and then summons the rest of the the party to, to join him. And he's like, there's some kind of humanoid thing. It looked like a reptile person. You know, the sort that had impregnated Trip earlier. So, you know, maybe we're on the lookout for something like that. Why did they not detect the humans with the sensor passes? Do they attribute it to the radiation interference or have these humans been fundamentally altered where they no longer fit uh, expected life signs? 
I just don't think they got good scans because of the radiation. Like trips up on actually in command of Enterprise for the first time. And uh, they talk about like their difficulty in determining what's going on down there because of the radiation. So one presumes that's the reason. And eventually they get a close scan with T'Pol's good tricorder. And that's how it is. They find out they're the okay. descendants of the humans. So I think they, 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 they found their way around that kind of idea decently. I was also partially expecting to find out that like, all of these dudes had been enslaved by Orions and like dragged off world or something. <laughs> right. Cause it's either going to be like mutant hillbillies or everybody as we found out. Oh God. What if they would have shown up and found like uh, evidence that all the colonists were strung upside down and like juiced out by the spider people. Oh God. The vampire spiders. Man. They were here too. the scourge of this part of the galaxy. The first yeah. great Federation wars against the spider people. That's a good one to to pick your first fight with. I think that's that's a fight that needs to happen. You know, that's it's like when you uh, when you start like a forex strategy game and like you used to have like that raider colony nearby as your like place to learn how to fight. Mm-hmm. It's like these are bad guys. No one wants to be involved with. Go stomp on them. Gladly. Even the Klingons are like, you know, throw a torpedo at them. Like, get sure. out of here. So Archer and Reed decide to descend into the uh, the caverns while, while I believe Mayweather and T'Pol are outside. And they start going to go into the caves. They're finding evidence of some stuff in the caves, that there's some civilization in the caves. And then naturally they get, reach a point where they finally do the dramatic turnaround and they see they're being watched by a whole bunch of very humanoid-looking people. Archer tries to talk to them. They're like, hey, we just want to be cool. Why don't you be cool? And then we'll be cool. And we'll all be cool. And the dude shows up with a submachine gun and tries to, you know, pray and spray. And Malcolm's handy with a gat and puts him down. And that starts the run and gun. Nitpick moment for me. They've been on this planet, this hostile ass planet for 70 years. And you're telling me they still got bullets? They got <laughs> well, there's not much gun. to shoot at. There's not much to shoot at, right? Like they've got a bunch of bullets because they hunt like little you know, digging mammals, armadillos. Yeah, and eat mushrooms and shit. They don't have anything to shoot at. A bunch of kids around a bunch of guns bored. That ammo would be gone in like 40 days, man. Okay. I, they must have brought. <laughs> if we're going to go all the way with this like covered wagon bullshit uh, that you're trying to spin over here, if we're going to go full uh, Oregon Trail. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to assume that these were bankers from Ohio. Of course. And they took their fat stacks of cash. And instead of buying, I don't know, uh, radiation medicine, X-Rad, right? Mm-hmm. They just bought all the fucking bullets. Listen, that's how you, that was the fucking life hack of beating Oregon Trail. It's like the first thing you figure out is, oh, I shouldn't buy any food. I should just buy all the bullets I possibly can and extra muskets and then hunt for meats Every time I need to eat. First of all, the hunting minigame's fun. Second, sure. you always get more than you can carry back. Just shoot one buffalo and then you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they brought extra bullets. I mean, it seemed like only the natural thing to do. I'm glad despite World War Three and the nuclear holocaust that ensued that humanity was able to rediscover the winning strategy of Oregon Trail. I'd yes. like to think maybe there were some like old Apple IIEs knocking around Zephyrin Cochran's place. He's like, we need to preserve these. These are important. And always ford the river. You know, that's always important. Can't take plenty of medicine. Also, be the doctor. All right, now that we've covered all of that. So they do the run and gun through the 
the catacombs they're in. And, uh, you know, it becomes painfully obvious pretty quickly, I think, that these are humans that are chasing him because obviously uh, Malcolm takes a shot to the knee or the leg. Leg leg injuries are very popular, I've noticed, in Star Trek Enterprise. Well, they're easy to do. And in terms of like makeup, because you don't have to do anything to the leg, they just have to limp Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, so it's it's much easier. Second, it allows you to have the immobilized storyline. You know, the shot True. in the legs, so he can't do it. And 30, he, he used to be an adventurer until he took his bullet to the knee. I used knee, to be so. a city guard until I took an, uh, a bullet to the knee. So down he goes, and Archer, I think, very unheroically leaves him very far behind. There is no covering fire or anything. <laughs> it's the stupid sequences. He gets shot, and he's like, oh, Malcolm. And he's like, don't worry, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, okay. And he keeps going, and then he's immediately beset by cave people. And he's like amazed that you know this man he just watched get shot got overtaken immediately after he turned his back like archer you gotta work on your uh away team leadership skills this is a work on your away team everything you've got two shuttle pods that's your way down right Mm -hmm. and then the transporter that's there to move like water filters and granola bars not people but you got two shuttles you get down to this big mystery planet. Uh, the scanners didn't find anybody. You see somebody like quit being this fucking dog chasing after the first tennis ball. You see, you're like, you know what? We've we've gotten jumped and fucked up a few times now. Send down some security. dudes. How many people are on the ship? 180, you said? No, 86. I don't know, man. Like make some room, start hot bunking and get some Marines or some like soldier dudes. Funny. You should mention that because when you get, leave it at that for now, as much as uh, humanity seemed to know in the future about Oregon Trail and how to how to win that game. Nobody seems to know about Vietnam and you don't go in the fucking rat tunnels. <laughs> or maybe Malcolm doesn't because he's like British and that's not a big part of their. I don't know, but like their willingness to start crawling through the dirt, like let's let's take a chill pill. Let's call some red shirts down and instead of you and me going into the fucking under earth or whatever. But no. Yeah, uh, they go digging around in the dirt. They're getting shot. Archer leaves him behind. He looks back in. Surprise. Malcolm's gone. Oh, gosh, darn it. Meanwhile, one of them tries to like beat up on Mayweather and uh, that allows to Paul to uh, not only shoot him, <laughs> but scan him. And uh, they decide to beat feet and literally just leave the planet with Malcolm Reed still somewhere in that in the caves, hopefully not being, you know, eaten by yeah, cannibals or leave no man behind. Yeah, leave that I guy. Would remember this. I would remember this moment for a long time if I was Malcolm Reed. Like, you know, you have no data on what's going on here and you just leave the guy behind be obviously consumed by these animals. And uh, when they're in the shuttle pod leaving, that's when T'Pol's like, yeah, those are humans. Those are those are the descendants of the colonists. We got problems. They they get back up to the ship. Archer looks exhausted. He calls flocks to join them and they talk through the situation, which is what is going on here? Well, these are clearly the you know, descendants of the colonists can be no one else. There's no other humans out here. So something happened to this colony. Something caused everything to be irradiated. They had to go underground. And because of you guys walking around down there, we got a good sense of their tunnels. We know they've got like 
They've got wells that they've dug for water. And Phlox is like, yeah, you could you could survive in tunnels. So, you know, civilizations have done that throughout history. Like you subsume on the flora and fauna within and you make it. And they start to hatch a plan of trying to save Reed because they know he's still alive, evidently, because he's got his communicator. And uh, they're like, let's go in with a whole bunch of photon grenades and just fucking take these people out. And Archer's like, no, we were sent out here to, like, make first contact with aliens. If I can't solve a problem with a bunch of cave-dwelling primitive humans, I have no business being a Starfleet captain. Let's... Let's actually problem solve and elects to take himself and flocks alone back to the surface. He gets real bent out of shape. And I don't know if it's self doubt that they're trying to um, relay here, but it's clearly frustration. And where I thought he was being petulant and stupid with the um, what was the space spider juice bag episode? Fight or flight. Yeah. Fight or flight. Yeah. Here, I think it's all completely warranted. Um this is a big deal colony flop to earth there's a lot riding on it it's earth failing uh it's colony at this point you know he still doesn't understand exactly what happened but there was conflict between earth wanting to send colonists out and the colony getting bent out of shape so i like that he's taking this one real personal so he and flax go down to the surface he immediately gives himself up to the submachine gun toting cave people Along with Flocks. And this, by the way, is where Flocks' characterization, this episode, dials that in better. He is very much more a doctor from this point forward that is confident in his professional abilities and his competence and capabilities in that are a defining feature of his presence on screen in a way that I don't think has been delivered since as well since McCoy. There's going to be later on in the sequence, he's you know going to be in the caves treating Reed and then kind of scanning the cave people and dispassionately, but intri- you know, but appropriately dispenses, you know, key information I'm like, Oh, this is your mother. Well, she's sick. She has something we call, you know, like explaining it while still talking to Archer about what's actually happening. How do you feel that the EMH missed that beat despite being the most competent physician technically uh, out of all of the ones that we've seen in Star Trek everywhere. Because Flox is limited, as we've already with we've already established in a prior episode and we will establish in this episode. He can't actually do everything. You know, the EMH had medical abilities so advanced they became absurd to the point of comedy for us, right? Consistently. Mm. Post revival post mortem revival techniques, but also like a million other things where he would just invent the perfect cure to whatever was happening. Whereas Flox he is working with limited the limited means of his time period and the limited means of the starship that he's on. And so there are problems that he can't solve at all, right? And he has to also explain what's going on to an audience of people who don't know what's going on. And I think that was all just much better captured as a real medical thing rather than sort of just space fantasy science as it was an enterprise and a more grounded experience. Yeah. It's more grounded. Like goes right back to the premiere when he's doing an autopsy by actually having the guy open and digging around in his chest cavity, which they would never have done in TNG or Voyager or DS nine. Cause they'd had like some bullshit, like black thing over him, And he would like t- tapping on a little keyboard and be like, Whoa, take a look in here. 
No, no. Phlox has metal things and he's digging around in someone's chest cavity and pulling out the liver and being like, this is fucked up. And I just think that's just... He is not only is that approach better for your medical officer, but he seems better at playing what a doctor would be like in how he talks about things without like a, a, a ton of emotional attachment to it. Are there other medical support staff? Because for him to be the doctor means the, the head doctor means that whoever the initial pick by Archer was bumped out of the role. Are there nurses or anybody else or is this just one doctor to service an entire ship? out in space one doctor and cutler was set is set up as the backup uh with medical the entomologist yes like that cutler is set up to be the tom paris like she has advanced medical training but isn't officially like a, a, a medical physician do they swap her out for someone else and she dies irl after season one you know, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think they do. I think that eventually there is some discussion of there being like additional supplementary medical staff on the ship, particularly going into season three. There's a lot that they like add on to the ship at that point. Hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, I suppose we'll get to that. But yeah, in this season, they, they set up Cutler specifically to be like the doctor's second in command. So they go down, they get captured, and uh, Archer wants to diplomacy his way through this. And this is where we're going to meet the leader guy who is in character named, I don't know, Jalan. Jamin. Yeah, Jamin. But he's, he's more interestingly played by a very much of that guy, who is Eric Avari. Who's from India. I, th- I figured he was going to be something more Middle Eastern, but that this is the that guy of that guy when you need something vaguely native, tribal, whatever. Uh, I instantly recognize him always as like the good leader guy from stargate he i i remember him from the first mummy movie because he was the head of the uh archaeological history museum in cairo Mm -hmm. he was he was evie's boss and that and he was secretly part of like the team of people who was trying to prevent anyone from ever finding the mummy so and he like he goes down like a fucking champ in that movie too because like he just gets giant scimitar out and starts like dispatching the zombified you know, Cairo residents just, uh, but yeah, he, he is a go-to actor from basically the nineties through the early two thousands for, do I need a vaguely foreign man? Ethnic looking dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he can be anything from Indian to Arabic to Jewish. Like he, he does it all. So um, well, in this case, he's covered. I, they've got dirt and they've got like, face paint markings but the bumps on their skin is that supposed to be like radiation mutation or is that just chunky clay dirt i think it's supposed to be dirt because they eventually cure nadette who's uh the old the eldest one of the group and you can kind of see like the normal skin on them and then it just feels like they just got this layer of dirt and it's like colored as like a sort of tribal thing that seems to be what they were going for so these dudes are reasonable, right? At this point, Archer has no no collateral to hold against them. Um, they've been sitting on Malcolm fine for a while, even though uh, Archer shot, for, or I guess Malcolm shot first. Although but the guy I, came out to shoot them. So like he was, it was one of those, the guy had the gat coming towards, you know, it's like the, it was a justified shoot, as we would say in, in American parlance. Sure. Uh, 
But I appreciate the fact that they, for the most part, despite hating humans, and these Novans do not recognize themselves as humans at this point. And again, they've got a real twisted upbringing, which I think is interesting since they're a bunch of children who grew up ignorant. But they didn't kill Malcolm. He's being treated well. Uh, leader guy brings Archer in. He lets Flocks do medicine to uh, read to stabilize him. And uh, they're not really interested in playing catch up. But uh, we're not getting any sort of unlike friendship one uh, super undue. Well, super hostility. Uh, appropriate as though the, the the local population might think it. Yeah, uh, they just want him to go. I make it very clear. Just get a fuck out of here. And this is where the aforementioned flock side scan starts happening. Not only does he cure Reed, but while Archer's trying to talk to leader guy, he starts popping off some scans and uh, says, hey, you know, your mother, I presume she's sick. She's real sick. And this is going to be a good opportunity for us to start mending some bridges here. They talk leader guy uh, into allowing this by having Reed stay behind as a, as a hostage. Um, Flock says I can cure lung cancer in a few hours. Just got to take her back to the ship. They set basically a deadline and roll back to the ship where in fact, Flox is like, you know, uh, Archer, you already seem pretty content to leave this dude behind once he's fine to be left behind again. And the Archer's like, no. And Reed kind of steps up to the plane. It's like, yeah, no, this is more important than me. I'm fine down here, Cap. Go go deal with this. Yeah, Flax immediately was like, no, he can stay. I've stabilized him. It's fine. That bullet will come out eventually. Mm-hmm. I know I know my medical science. It's okay. I've seen videos on YouTube. The body will just reject it, and he can pick it out of his skin like a big nasty pimple. It'll be real cool. I like uh, Archer playing on leader guy's heartstrings because it's his mom who's sick, so he agrees, and they get in the shuttle pod, and they go back up to the magic ship. Really, really bad CG zoom as they're going back on the shuttle pods. Because <laughs> instead of doing like an actual new shot of them getting closer, they just take a static shot of of the NX-01 and then just zoom it in. It's very noticeably bad. Trying to save some money, I understand, but please no. They get there and they put Nadette into a, the MRI machine essentially, and check on where her cancer is. And it's quite advanced, stage four, going everywhere. It doesn't matter. I can still cure it. And while this is happening, Archer is trying to connect, trying to show, hey, here's photos of the colony and trying to really like convince them that they're the descendants of the colonists, that they're humans, not a separate species. While also trying to figure out what happened, right? Like hearing from them about how it is this all occurred that they're living in these caves and everything's irradiated. There's still a mystery that hasn't been solved. A couple things we need to also establish here. I don't know if we should even bother wasting the breath to say it, but the planet looks like Southern California. I mean, it literally is the back lot, right? Like the little paved road. And it's like they were just went out back and shot there. Throw up some shanty town that costs $15 and you're good to go on that. Um, these dudes are covered in caked mud, whatever uh, they have. And I will call it the worst part of the episode. Speaking clean English is for nerds. We not we got to show that these Novans, they're different. 
these these guys come from a different cloth. I thought for sure, by the way, this was going to be the reason you hated the episode because of how much you've hated this trope in the past. The fucking Kashar jungle fighters out of what was it? Uh, Nemesis. Nemesis, that fucking episode of Voyager. They can't just speak regular goddamn English. No, it's you've got. Uh, what was it? Rumbles in your tummy. And uh, instead of saying bullshit or lies, it's all shale. So they've got this goofy parallel language, which is so tacked on and whack and stupid. How, how did you feel about it? Because you seem pretty warm to it on uh, Nemesis. They literally were one generation away from the people that lived on the surface. Like, it seemed odd to me that their language had degenerated so fast, but I'm not an expert on this stuff. Maybe it would happen that fast. Like, I don't know. Maybe if you're stuck living in fucking dark caves, eating armadillo meat, maybe it does something to you. Um, maybe like, I guess like 70 years is a long time. And the leader guy's generation would have been entirely raised in that environment. True. Because so maybe it would be like that. So we'll later find out that the mom was not, part of the initial crew manifest of Terra Nova. But was she born on the ship or was she born on the surface? They suspect that she was born on the ship based on her age. And again, I like stuff like that too. It's not a generational ship per se, but you know, the, the idea of procreating and, and keeping things moving forward, which is something we barely saw out of uh, Voyager minus Tom and she who shall not be named. Namely Wildman. <laughs> Very happy she's not in this, by the way. <laughs> um, but she she remembers a little bit, but it's clear she does not want to remember and is quick to follow her son's advice to just dismiss this all off as quote unquote shale. Archer gets frustrated and leaves, uh, but there is a opening in that Hoshi and uh, Paul have put together the last transmission that the colony attempted to send. So communication was cut off abruptly. No one knows what happened. There were some angry exchanges, but there wasn't any clarity as to what actually happened. Well, it turns out that the colony thought that they had been attacked by the message that was sent, but never received because of the debris cloud that occurred due to an asteroid strike. So, the sequence of events was apparently that a giant asteroid did some like dino killing bullshit because it was filled with a radioactive material that when it impacted and broke apart, coated the northern hemisphere with this radiation cloud that uh, essentially was killing anyone above the age of five that was in the colony. So exact order of events here is Earth says we're going to send out more colonists. Terra Nova says no, fuck that. Uh, we're real hot about this. Don't you fucking dare. Asteroid hits. Colony thinks that Earth has attacked it in retribution. They send out a message saying, hey, you know, we know that we were course last message, but this is uncalled for. You're killing the kids. We're all dying. This is chemical warfare. This is bullshit. That gets trapped in the buffer because of the aforementioned atmospheric interference. And the humans, the, the adults, die off quickly because they're not equipped to deal with the radiation as well as the children are, but it's enough for them to impress on the kids that earth did this to us. Humans are the enemy. Um, maybe some of the adults end up living, but the majority die off. And at this point it's kids going into the subterranean lifestyle. 
it's during this portion of the show that <laughs> does subspace communication exist yet? Part of uh, the plot of the show is them setting up the first subspace communication network. So Archer's lack of communication with Starfleet is not them being cheeky or him being negligent. They simply do not have a way to contact. Well, there has to be. I mean, if if Nova, Terra Nova was speaking to Earth, unless it was like a long, not real time communication, at least there's no way for him to be like, Hey, Forrest uh, or Admiral Forrest, here's a conundrum we have here. What's guidance? Yeah, the, the the messages they're able to send are on a delay. Okay, I buy it. And they're setting up buoys. There'll actually be a whole episode about this, the, the, about them setting up buoys so that like future ships could actually communicate with Earth and each other. I like it. He goes back in and says, hey, listen, I found uh, some stuff we need to talk about, and it's going to shape... Uh, what the decisions you guys need to make as a colony are. Um, but there's also uh, kind of a little time, a sort of Damocles that's going to be thrown into the mix here, as it were. Yeah, so Phlox lets uh, Archer know, hey, come talk to me. And says, I cured the cancer. That was the easy part. Unfortunately, I found out that they got a bigger problem. And that is they have microcellular decay associated with their endocrine system that probably comes from their water being contaminated. And he says quite clearly, I do not have the capacity to treat this. I cannot fix this problem. You have to just convince them to move away from the radiation, which, by the way, they can do. The southern half of the planet is not irradiated and the northern half will remain irradiated for another 10 years. So well, that's we don't really find out way. about the southern part of the plan as being a viable thing right right now the game plan is basically you guys need to come back to earth that's true the southern half thing doesn't get brought up until this discussion happens because they initially want to bring everybody off and take them back to earth they try to convince the the leader guy and his mom of that they reject it and that is when to paul like takes them aside and be like do you think you're going to take them to earth and teach them how to read and write and do arithmetic and be good citizens which so a lot of stuff happening happens real quick here um you know during this conversation that archer's having he starts flashing pictures trying to jog their memory i swear to god the one guy's uh the dude who plays odo renee aber abajeros yeah I, I put that up in the trauma support group, that screenshot there. It does look like him. I, I, I saw no verification in the memory alpha, but it does Which, look like him. already super anemic. The dumb shit that they focus on, uh, these production notes, like uh, the the lady had to be picked up from her house and so did uh, to Paul. Like, just who gives a fuck? There's no real behind the scenes interesting stuff in terms of story other than Bran and... Um, uh, Berman shitting on this thing. I like that there's no security on hand to kind of keep an eye on these people. And then Archer has this dilemma, as you just mentioned. I think it's ludicrous that he summons to Paul to go off to his quarters or the ready room or whatever they're wherever they're talking about this for him to hash out this moral dilemma. Like, why is this not trip? They're humans. This is a, a heart and humanity issue. Why are you bringing in this cold ass Vulcan? who you've already rejected her advice and her outlook on things many times. But this this is who he has this scene with. And she's like, don't give him an option. Either drag him off. You know, we can go in there with stun grenades and, and put him down. Or 
as you're saying, uh, what's your fantasy that you think is going to happen here? And they start. I thought they were going to go more into this, like. Is it right to try to, quote unquote, tame the savages and, and you know, bring them to God and, and all that whole thing, make them learn to write English and, and enjoy earth meat and live in the sun? I'm glad they didn't go deeper into that than they, they did. But it was more of a practical argument. You know, it was the Vulcan argument you expect to say, listen, let's look at this rationally. This is the best they can hope for. This is this is the best life they can hope for is what they're doing right now. You take them from this place. You try to force them into to Earth society. They're going to they're going to mentally collapse. That's the bottom line. You're better off leaving them here. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. And Archer buys the argument and says, you right. I can't a try and like storm the Bastille and make these people do something they don't want to do. That's probably not it. And second, they probably should stay here. That's the best they can hope for. Like without so badly interrupting their lives that the, they essentially become shells themselves. So the, the last piece of the puzzle for this episode is Archer convincing them to move to the Southern hemisphere, which he would facilitate. Of course, they don't want to hear this because he is still a filthy human and they are noble Terrans or they are noble Novans. And he's taking them back to the surface in the shuttle pod when the uh, the fourth act disaster strikes that brings our uh, our protagonists together. First thing, though, I would like to commend Enterprise for mentioning explicitly on camera in dialogue that they cannot afford to lose a shuttle pod. They only have two. They have no replacements. So fucking Trip is going to have to come down there with a goddamn crane and get that fucking shuttle pod out of this this pit that opens up underneath it. Like they established like, no, we don't. We don't have extras. We got to get this one back. We're not a a Pez dispenser full of uh, shuttle pods. Uh, B plot at this point is Reed stuck down in the caves acting as collateral. Um, There's a little exchange between him and his guard who goes from pointing a gun with infinite bullets at him, which Reed's like, oh, that's one of the old Mark threes or was it fours or whatever. Uh, The guy going from pointing a gun to him being like, "Uh oh, it's four o'clock time to lay down my gun so I can start playing my bone flute. Gets a little concert. There is no explanation as to why. <laughs> it's just there for there to pad the fucking runtime. I think it's there to show that even though these guys are just savages living in tunnels at this point, like they still have culture and there's still something, um, something human there to oh to sure be more relatable. It's a sad story, and and maybe that's something that works to me too. Is that all these kids are robbed of their parents. Uh, they feel that they've been basically uh, nuked by Earth, this feeling of abandonment, how scary and miserable it would be nine years away, no help to come out. Even the dude on the fucking uh, transmissions like, listen, we surrender. Please don't. You're killing the kids. Uh, please, we need help. Send the Vulcans out. And that that was powerful there because, you know, it had been offered up as an alternative early, but stingy ass earth doesn't want to get deeper into debt with the old Vulcans. Um, we go through some paint by numbers. All right, we got to get out. We're going to go through. You got to trust me. Give me your gun for whatever fucking reason. And, uh, Hey, one of our dudes is trapped at the bottom of a pit and, uh, we got to go down there. Are you willing to risk your life to help me 
rescue this guy. And Archer's a good boy scout. They get down there. The tree stuck on top of them. Instead of Archer just being like, beam this goddamn tree out. He's like, give me my my lightsaber gun. We're going to cut this thing off. <laughs> they they save the guy from drowning and they have that. Yay, we got along. And then they go get Reed. And that's when the grandma characters like, yo, no, they're right. We're all humans. I remember being on the surface. I remember my mom. I remember, you know, like, it's time. We got to move. Let's do the thing. And here we go. They accept relocation. And the episode wraps with uh, them kind of like Mayweather is like a fanboy of the Terra Nova thing. And it's mentioned a few times. And he gets to have dinner with uh, the captain, then Trip into Paul to to wrap this discussion up. I like real quick that and this was established earlier, but like this Terra Nova thing was a real big fucking deal to the the boomer guys. Yeah. Because it was way deep in space, and that's the sort of shit they live for. Yeah. And they, you know, talk about, you know, the, finally this big mystery, like Amelia Earhart's disappearance. Oh, my God. When they dragged Amelia Earhart in, I was like, shut the fuck No one ever saw her again! I'm so sick of Amelia Earhart. Who, by uh, the way, I would have been super down with had Amelia Earhart thrown in with Voyager and, like, rolled around with him for, like, yeah. a couple episodes. And then died a significant death going you know taking one for the team and so i would have loved if she was just a background character that showed up every once in a while for the rest ah, of the how show. cool that yeah, yeah like lieutenant Earhart. you know she was the first uh person to circle the globe now she's working in hydroponics since kess is out or like she's like tom paris's backup helmsman because he's like helping the doctor so like Dude. she learns the pilot of the ship mm. yeah dope it, and there's not like a ton to do with it. She's just like learning about the future and she's super open to it. So she learns quickly. Security you know? officer Tackleberry. Yeah. Oh, wasted goddamn potential in Voyager. He just rolls around with that fucking 45 caliber revolver. Dude, he's going back in a blonde suitor dropping K's on coming out of the side hatch. That you could have done. Yeah, he could have gone down like a pro in basics that same season. You know, mm. that could have been the end of Tackleberry. Hmm. So they tell Mayweather, hey, you know, since you got a real hard on about this Terra Nova thing, we're going to let you write the report and you can be a big shot. And he's like, oh, gee, Gil, gosh, Willikers, thanks, Cap. Um, and they get out of doing homework. I mean, this is great. Give it to the new guy. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, again, you know, how do you feel having had this conversation with me? Are you a little more warmer to the episode? I already was warmer to it, I guess, just by proxy of none of the quote unquote early bad episodes here hold a candle to the garbage that we've had to watch in Voyager that when again, it was at its lowest, the big, the big culprit always being a waste of time watching it where there is nothing to take away. And me being a neckbeard, I'm happy to, you know, you give me some bullshit background on Tuvok, uh, an interesting look into the history of the phaser an explanation of what this ship was that has been mentioned before. Like I can take that away and say that was time somewhat well, spent and and i can move forward on compare this to the fight this is so much better than that it's just so much better than what people sometimes call the worst and this is kind of the bottom ish of enterprise to be honest with you i don't think it really ever gets worse than this from my recollection so and, and this is goes to the theory that i brought into us doing this new phase of the podcast which is this show is badly mistreated by time like it's not that bad at its worst. And it's very good when it figures itself out. 
And I think it's just a matter of exposure. People just don't know that the show is as good as it ends up being. And it's because these first fucking five episodes weren't really all that great. And by the time the show found its footing, it had lost so much of the audience that when it has its natural bleed out of people who, you know, just stop watching it over time because that happens with essentially every kind of show in from this era, because there's no DVR, you know, there's, there's no like way to like keep audiences captured if they miss the time slot, particularly how serialized it is uh, that they were just behind the curve. And that's why the shit, the, the ratings fell apart. So. If I could do cool shit to this episode, I'd say that uh, a they should have done full medical like again, going back to friendship one, like all these remaining former colonists, whatever descendants. Use your space magic uh, medicine to fix these guys up, put them on the best foot you can. They're still an Earth colony. I think there's still a debt of Earth to them and tying back into this like. You know, should we drag the savages and make them learn English and the right way to talk and, and force our lifestyle on them? No, but I think what would be fair is put some active communication thing back on there that if any of these people ever do want to reintegrate into Earth society, that option's on the table. Or at the end of the day, you can say, hey, this is still a pretty good planet. The Southern Hemisphere is anyways. Um, let's colonize this thing the right way. Let's fix old mistakes and let's put an earth colony on here. And if these, uh, these fucking mole people ever do want to maybe come out into the sunlight that there's a feder, there's a earth outpost out here waiting for them. I, I think my change would have been to not make them super primitive. I think that they should have been more like fallout three bunker style, like isolated. I like that. And, and it's, all about trying i mean the diplomacy angle still needs to be the focus of the episode but so much of where this drags and is boring as fuck is just like them having to try and communicate and their crappy little language and spending way too much time on just dirtily shit that doesn't matter and instead make it about trying to communicate with these people who have this real beef that there's a reason why they feel like they have the beef, like build a cause for the calamity that feels more like maybe there was an attack. Maybe someone else attacked and they associated it with earth could have been like Nausicans or something mm -hmm. before they knew what Nausicans were. And you have to penetrate through that and give them a threat against enterprise. Like give their, instead of just like Malcolm Reed has a leg wound. You don't see it's, you know, they have like these, these weapons that they've built from the disassembly of the ship or that they've innovated for when earth returns, we'll be ready for them. I like you know? that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, listen, if, if we're going to do the wish list or our, our redoctoring, yeah, these guys know what's up. Uh, maybe they've got some unobtainium that earth would really like to have. And there's an importance on this mission of diplomacy to reintegrate these guys in with earth. It'd be the furthest forward uh, colony that we have access to. And yeah, they've got space guns that actually work. They've been fighting off other raiders because they've grown up there in the wartime thing. And uh, after we just got our asses kicked by the, the space spider people and our torpedoes are literally bouncing off their hull, uh, they got the juice that we want. And I think there's... Ooh, and I like this thread. They stopped talking. No one knows why. And, and they think it's that they were abandoned. And they were left to fend for themselves against the hostile aliens in the galaxy. And they're like they're the ones who are like fucking wise to how wild shit is. Mm -hmm. And they've been fending for themselves 
and that they've got all this grievance against earth and they've got to solve a problem for them, you know, out there. Like this idea could have just been so much better executed if they changed the frame a little bit and um, not made them super primitive. That just dragged the whole thing down. So, but what are we watching next week, Peter? We're moving into season one, episode seven, the Andorian incident. And there is some vaguely looking Asian palace on the edge of a waterfall. Enterprise visits the ancient Vulcan spiritual sanctuary. Despite Paul's concerns that her human colleagues will be an awkward and disruptive presence there. Imagine that. Upon landing, they discover that the monastery has been forcibly taken over by the Andorians, a paranoid and highly excitable race of aliens with a long history of conflict with the Vulcans. Very interesting premise. The Vulcans having their own problems to worry about. Very interesting. This is probably the very first absolutely good episode of Enterprise like that I, I recall watching and be like, oh, this, sh- this show has got some fucking shit to do. Hmm. Um, this is going to introduce uh, a, a recurring character. It's the first time we're really going to have like background on screen ever about the Andorians, which I think is, you know, one of those like missing pieces of Trek lore, considering they're supposed to be a founding member of the uh, United Federation of Planets. And so we'll be spending a lot of time with the Andorians overall. And the recurring character, Shran, that we will meet, is played by none other than uh, B-movie veteran and Star Trek legend Jeffrey Combs. There you go. So this is this is some good shit right here. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. And thank you to all of you out there in Viser Please land. We appreciate your time and attention to our podcast. We appreciate all of your interactions with us, both on Twitter, at email at vjerplease at gmail.com, and most importantly on Facebook, not only on our Facebook page, but our Facebook group, the Vager Please Trauma Support Group, where we love to do most of our fan interaction. Please come join us anytime. Please also, if you can, Review us at whatever platform you want, whether it's Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever. Give us a review. It actually means a lot to us, and we would appreciate it. See you next time.